Next Chapter Podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. What's up, everybody? Before we kickstart this episode, I want to tell you about a new series from Next Chapter Podcast called Play On. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you read anything by Shakespeare? If you're like me, it probably doesn't happen or it didn't happen since you were in high school. But the truth is... Shakespeare's plays are full-on murder, mayhem, lies, and intrigue that you've come to love from shows like Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad. So what if there was a way to make these stories a little more modern and relevant to the world around us? Well, the good news is the Play On podcasts are exactly that. Each series takes a classic work of Shakespeare and reimagines it in a unique time and place that puts the story in a whole new light like jazz-infused San Francisco for its translation of King Lear, or the golden era of radio for the upcoming Twelfth Night. There's original music, sound design, and language of the plays, and they've been updated by award-winning playwrights, so you don't have to bust out a dictionary when the character drops a weird word that you don't understand, like Versooth. And speaking of characters, the cast is made up of incredible stage and screen talent, like the one and only Keith David from Platoon, or Amy Brenneman from the movie Heat, and the TV show Judging Amy. So be sure to check out Play On Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts or go to ncpodcast.com slash playonpodcast to learn more. The 500 The 500 so lovely it's pale blue eyes by the velvet underground from the 1969 self-titled record it's also number 316 out of 500 on the 500 what's up fleece army what is going on with me i'm taking time off i've just been laying around trying to rest my voice trying to get back into like you know performing shape i was on the road three weeks and had to take a lot of prednisone for my vocal cords because it was just you know you're doing I probably did eight jams, 30 shows, parties. It was just a lot. And since I've gotten back to New York, I've just been cut away. Um, I'm catching up on records that we got to listen to. We'll tape a couple podcasts here and there. But, you know, for the most part, I'm just having a time. Just having a real chilly sesh. Me and Lekka, dog. How you doing, Lekka? Looking good, girl. Lekka's birthday's in October. So October 19th. If you remember that and you send a message to me on October 19th saying happy birthday, Lekka, I will send you free merch. Deal. All right. Join the Patreon because you can ask questions if you pay $5 or more a month. Patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. There's little areas where you can write questions to the guest. 
and we will read them on each episode. So patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. Oh, I got some stuff. Yeah, May 23rd, we're doing a shimmy shimmy at the Comedy Store. June 12th, we're doing a goddamn comedy jam at the Comedy Store. And June 13th, I'm doing another shimmy shimmy uh I'll be at the store. I'm at the cellar. I'm at the stand. I'm at New York Comedy Club most nights, except for this week, because I'm doing nothing. But it's all there. Hit me up. Let's talk. Let's have fun. Okie dokie. The VU. The Velvet Underground. They are a band that you might have heard of. My guest today, man oh man, big, big fan. The one and only James Adomian. Uh, You know James uh, from his numerous appearances on Jimmy Kimmel Live. He has done uh, animated voice overs. Uh, He's one of the best impressionists that I know. Uh, on, On June 9th, you can see him on Netflix as a joke, stand out in LGBTQ plus celebration. That was an incredible lineup. We talk about it. Uh, if you're in Seattle, you could see him performing at the Hereafter Theater on 529. And if you are in Vancouver, you could see him at the Bitmore Cabaret, May 28th for Just for Laughs Vancouver. But right now, you can hear him right here. Uh, I love James. I've known James for a long time. And he's always been a good dude and always have a lot of fun hanging with him. So this was cool. It was cool to, to talk about the VU with my buddy buds. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500. Listen free on all platforms. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500 podcast at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group run by Crazy Evan. For all things 500, go to the website, the500podcast.com. You got to click through a bunch of things, but eventually... You'll figure it out. All right. Here we go. 316 out of 500 with the Velvet Underground by the Velvet Underground. I got my I got my v- Velvet Underground sunglasses on. Um, I got a happening after this. Um, I think this I think this podcast is officially a happening. We're having a happening, everybody. Just so everybody knows. Like Andy's in the corner, like just painting something incredible. And there's a weird German lady over there. Might might be uh, high there on some form goes. of psychedelics. No, there so we got, she goes. So check this out, uh, James. So we, um, if you want, so just everybody knows, James, you want to tell everybody what happened? You almost were recording this. You got locked out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, take us there. <laughs> Did that not I just didn't happen? Know. Am I, I not? Am I completely batshit crazy right now? I didn't know that this was like a like a chat worthy story. <laughs> it yeah, just it's, happened. It's real. Uh, it's real, and the fans want real. It hasn't become an anecdote yet. But now, okay, here we go. Yes, I was. Uh, I went down to try to get coffee in the lobby. Of course, that was closed. And then uh, coming back up with uh, pop tarts and apple juice. Uh, the he didn't work. So I had to do this whole ordeal of going down and convincing them that I, it was my room uh, because it's not, the room's also not in my name. So <laughs> it's in the name of the club owner, uh, which is, that's the way it goes. And so I had to do a whole thing of being like, do you know who I am? Uh, I have a, I have a zoom with Sirius XM. Josh Adam Myers. <laughs> I'll have, you know, it is so important. I must talk about Nico. Yeah, <laughs> I must compare Nico and Lou Reed. So that's if you would have had to do this outside, it, it wouldn't have been the first time that's happened. We had um, Neil Brennan. Neil Brennan uh, forgot that he was uh, recording the podcast and answered it into the Zoom while he was walking the streets of Brooklyn. <laughs> and it was almost perfect because you would get people like, wait, you, you Neil Brennan? <laughs> like, hold up. It was great. Um, well, I'm glad you're here, man. Um, and when they told me you were doing this one, I was like I was stoked because I get to see you. And But before we, we get into anything, uh, promote away, James, please. This is your moment. Take us through. What do you got going on? What are you this doing? Come out, this has come out now or in a month or something? In eight seconds. <laughs> oh, it's immediately out. <laughs> um, I'm on Jimmy Kimmel a lot playing Mike Lindell, uh, uh, the My Pillow guy. Uh, and I just taped uh, this um, special with Wanda Sykes and 25 comedians called Stand Out at the Netflix Festival at the Greek Theater in Los Angeles. And that's going to come out in June. 
Yeah, and it was pretty cool. It was like a big, uh, uh, big stand-up show with all the LGBTQ comedians, and uh, they packed us. They really packed us on stage <laughs> and backstage. <laughs> I know, I saw it. But look, man, uh, one, it, I saw the lineup that you had up there, and I mean, really incredible performers, straight, gay, or anything. Just it was great comics up there. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it looks like, it looks like it, it's, it's going to be great. What a great venue to do it at. I mean, the Greek, that must've been, that must've been amazing, right? The yeah. sound. It really sound, you were, I was on stage and I was like, huh, more people should do shows here. Almost <laughs> like they designed it such. Uh, I it saw was, King. You saw who? I saw Kings of Leon there. Is that how you say him? Leon, Leon. I've seen Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. Uh, great venue. Love the Greek. Love the Greek. It is awesome. Yeah. And um, uh, surprisingly, they don't. Surprisingly, they do not serve any lamb-based food there, being that it's the Greek. That's my time, everybody. Okay. All right. Go follow me on uh, at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. <laughs> they don't serve any lamb-based food, Greek, uh, because because no one does. They wouldn't even have to implement that rule. What are you talking about? They're you think- every nine thirty clubs got got gyros. Oh, you got you got lamb chops at uh, you got lamb chops at the at where Shank, else? Hollywood Bowl. Shank chops, uh, center cut, and um, and even uh, feet. Are you a lamb at all? Are you a lamb? Oh, head? dude, I'm on the road with lamb all the time, dude. You put, I like make- a tzatziki and uh and like uh rosemary or something <laughs> if you cut me it's it's just habibi falls out habibi street meat comes out of my arms <clears throat> um well dude yeah everybody check out check out james uh on kimmel check him out on uh the netflix thing my netflix thing i think comes out the same week as yours i did uh, i did the bill burr presents and you know what a, oh, what yeah. a fun fe- what a fun festival i'm so happy to be back here in um in new york uh do love los angeles but man that, that are you living there out. yeah i moved here in may so i've been here over a year now i was gonna say it looks like that doesn't that that's either a well-decorated airbnb or that's where someone lives that's, that's not what, like a yeah, yeah yeah it's me dude dude i did really good i did really good. i got rugs i got throw pillows where's my throw i'll show you the throw pillow later but <laughs> it's it's you know and then let me tell you this this is what i think is so cool uh, about the fact that we're doing this and we already just started talking about New York because uh, I've always been the kind of person with Velvet Underground that I thought they were the ultra coolest of the cool. Like I, there's an expression that uh, at DJ Morty Coyle, I just got off the phone with him, um, follow him. But he said something that I love is that Velvet, Velvet Underground are a band that their record only set, only sold 10,000 copies, but every one of those 10,000 people that bought the record started a band. <laughs> that, I don't know who originated that saying, but it's always said about the Velvet Underground and particularly this album. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so I, it, go ahead, I love go ahead. the idea of, I love the image of 10,000, only 10, but 10,000 people going like, I'm gonna start a band. <laughs> yeah, man. Like literally had to go run out and do it right then. I mean, I just never, I never like, I guess it was a band that to me, when I looked at them, I was like, oh, they're just super cool or I'm not gonna get the music or it's just a time and a place in the 60s and 70s where, you know, the word happening and Andy Warhol and the beat poets and all of that stuff were kind of just this scene. Um, and so, and, and I mean this, I say this every episode and I hate to say it to all the listeners. Once again, this is my first time literally listening to a Velvet Underground album from start to finish. Now, now here's what I liked about this yeah. is before we get into any of the facts or how we got into it is just like this album hit so differently listening to it in Los Angeles and then listening to it in New York. Mm-hmm. Just the images, the the sound, and and everything. So for me, it was a really cool experience to like. All right, here we go. First time doing it, putting it on. I'm in New York. Wow, putting it on LA. Okay, a little bit different. So it, that's yeah, me. There's like references. There's references that are deeply w- woven into like New York City. Very, very. Where it's like, uh, hey, white boy, what you doing uptown? <laughs> 
and was like, and you're oh, like, and you're like, oh, I get it. Yeah, he's in New York. Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. So wait, so tell me about, tell me about, because you're you're always a guy that I've, you know, I think you're hip. I you, I know the music you dig. Well, actually, before we get into that, what are you know, what are you growing up listening to? Like, what is what is like is is Velvet Underground in there at the beginning? I, I'm not, I'm not. First of all, I don't think of myself as hip because I don't know a lot of cool shit except accidentally. Yeah. Um, as far as the Velvet Underground, I'm not like a Velvet Underground head. I'm not like an Andy Warhol stan. Um, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not like a. I'm you know I'm not like a a, a Nico fan. But here's the Nico. Deal. No, you know what you should have said right there. I should like yeah. I'm not a Nico freako. Thank you. I'm not a Nico freako. I like that. But. They were always in the radio. <clears throat> I like to listen to the radio, and I like to listen to. Oh, I, I I got into my mom's record collection when I was like eight nine years old, and so I always liked that music from the sixties and seventies, and um, and then I kind of like knew about them, <clears throat> um, but I would they they it wasn't ever my favorite, but uh, but then you know in my twenties I started to like them more because. I guess I was doing more drugs by then. Yeah. And uh, not necessarily heroin, <laughs> which is like, also hilarious how public uh, the heroin addiction is all over this album. Yeah, dude. Um, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes I would be like, sometimes I, I, I would be, you know, really hungover, strung out for days or something. Like uh, I used to do, I used to do way more drugs than I do now. <laughs> yeah. And it would put you in bad moods, you know? And um Do you mind me asking what me asking what were your drugs of choice? Because I'm I'm opiate. I'm coke I'm alcohol, cocaine until about until about twenty six and then and then from twenty six until thirty six. I'm uh Vicodin ES, uh but favoring towards the end the uh, perk thirties. Big fan of perk thirties. Um I loved like bad combinations, like um like mushrooms and cocaine or like marijuana and speed. Like I was doing dumb combinations like that uh, when I was really young. And um, for the opiates, kind of always avoid them. Not really, no, but I just had someone, I lost someone who was addicted to them early on. So that was the one where I was like, don't step in that trap. But yeah. um, um I did, uh, I, I did opiates accidentally a couple of times. That was uh, when my my uh, mystery drugs I did, I would find out later. I was like, oh, okay, that's what that was. And I- <laughs> It's like a grab I, bag of fun. You're like, all yeah. right, what are we getting in here? I'm a little sleepy, but I'm also constipated. And I have, uh, I have literally chased the dragon uh, twice, <laughs> which is like, uh, I feel that's like, what am I from the 20s? I guess now I it's like 100 years later. <laughs> Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip podcast. So, all right, so so you're so you're doing drugs. You're listening to your mom's records. What has she got in there? And it's all this stuff. Yeah, but this, but like, like what I preferred, I like poppy stuff or like you know the the third the third most popular song on that particular Rolling Stones album. Like that's where I lean into. Mm -hmm. I love the I love the uh, Rolling Stones and Elton John and and uh, I like the British Invasion and there's this kind of New York sound that, that that's there. And uh, what's interesting is they always played the Velvet Underground on the radio growing up in LA. But when you go to New York, because I lived in New York 10 years ago or whatever, and uh, they play it a lot more on the radio in New York because it's like yeah. a hometown band. 
Yeah, um, I, I never heard Velvet Underground played in Los Angeles ever. They do, but also conversely, you get a, like no nobody would play the door. Like the radio stations don't play the Doors in New York because they're like, why? What? What? Why would we? <laughs> Very LA band, yeah, for sure. Very LA. But, band. but 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 from everything I've I've read about. The Velvet Underground is that they are a very New York band. Like they started it like Lou Reed's from Brooklyn. He grew up in Jersey, you know, uh, I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just looking here's the like, all right, let's do a little biography on him and then we'll get into how you got into him. All right. So just so everybody knows who the Velvet Underground is, Lou Reed, born in Brooklyn, grew up in Jersey regularly targeted by bullies and developed a variety of phobias and anxieties at the age of oh, 16. Oh, pardon me, sir. It's <laughs> from my mind. <laughs> Stop giving me a wedgie. Uh, <laughs> at the age of 16, he started to experiment with drugs, hoping to deal with his problems. Reed's parents followed the advice of a psychiatrist and submitted him to electroconvulsive therapy. Many years later, he would write about the traumatic events of the treatments in his song, Kill Your Sons. But that's getting a little ahead of ourselves. He found solace in music. Here we are, back to the meat and potatoes. Formed a band called The Jades and had his first single at 16. He then took a job at Pickwick Records and I like saying that Pickwick Records and wrote and recorded songs to help fill out albums on the label. It was there he met musician John Cale. Uh, he recruited a college friend, Sterling Morrison, to play guitar and then later on brought Maureen Tucker to play drums in a new band. Originally, the group performed under a number of names before settling on Velvet Underground in 65. Pop artist Andy Warhol became their manager in 66, and they served as the house band at Warhol's art collective known as The Factory in Warhol's traveling multimedia show, The Exploding Plastic Inevitable, from 66 to 67. Their debut album, The Velvet Underground and Nico, with German singer and model Nico, was released in 67 <laughs> to critical indifference and poor sales, but has since drawn wide acclaim. And then their second record, called White Light, White Heat in 68, and once again had critical acclaim, but sold poorly. Worse than the first record, leading us up to today's record. So now everybody has an idea of who the Velvet Underground is. I love that uh, when you think about all this and you're like, it's the 60s, it's Andy Warhol. It's, it's everyone, everyone has taken a bath in LSD by this point. Yeah. And then it's like, it's like the exploding plastic, whatever the fuck it is. And this is like, this is like three years before Woodstock still. And it also, it always makes me laugh to remember that the president of the United States at the time was Lyndon Johnson. Yes. <laughs> My favorite of all the, of all the presidents love Johnson, dude, huge, uh, Ligeo fan. Um, I, I love imagining that he had at some point, Lyndon Johnson heard this album and was like, and one of those white house tapes was like, <laughs> Bob, what's all this about the velvet underground? That's something we're going to have to get the military involved in. I heard that there's a femme fatale. They got this German chick singing about it. I want to report on that on my fucking desk, Mike. I mean, that's, it's like, should we be looking into somebody named Nico? <laughs> Is that code word for, uh, for maybe German spy or like a, <laughs> uh, expressionist? I don't even know what expressionist is, but if, if we can get some of them expressionist missiles, that would help us tackle the Viet Cong. Well, if they got a Venus in furs, then we're fucked up the ass, Mike. <laughs> white light, white heat. That's that. That's definitely uh, a mission that they have coming up. And uh, something about exploding plastic inevitable. What is inevitable <laughs> about plastic and why is it exploding? If they're, under, if they're underground, that means it could be hidden, hidden in a velvet silo, a velvet missile <laughs> silo somewhere velvet underground. Uh, yeah, but I mean, all right, where, where the fuck are we? All right, so here you go. Pick it up. <laughs> I could literally just do that for the next hour, and I think I'd be happy. And if the fans got mad, I'd be like, ah, just suck it. Cram it with walnuts. Um, all right, so tell me about that first time you heard uh, the Velvet Underground. Do you remember where you were? I don't were? remember the first time because I always knew the radio hits. I mean, I knew, I knew I'm waiting for the man, the big, yeah. that's the, uh, and I still love it. I always loved that song. And then you'd hear it, it. It was like a band that you'd hear on like uh, uh, Arrow ninety three FM in LA. Yeah, where it would, it would. That's where I heard Arrow ninety three was where I would hear like Zeppelin album tracks. 
like the yeah. Battle of Evermore or something. Yeah. And I'll be baked and be like, whoa, I need to get into this. I actually, I bought this album in my 20s. Uh, this They're now uh, post Nico and post Warhol, I believe. And so they're just trying to be like, I don't know, maybe they're more normal <laughs> hipsters. Oh, man, this is a good conversation. And we're going to get right back to it. But before that, I want to quickly mention another show I think you're really going to enjoy from Next Chapter Podcast called Scopophilia. Any longtime listeners on my show know that I'm a huge movie buff. Man, I love movies. But on our podcast, host Becky Teller takes it to a whole new level. In each episode, she and her guests go deep on some of the most beloved Hollywood hits, but with an added layer to the conversation. Becky finds guests to join her discussion about how their generation specifically views the movies we all know and love, and maybe some you've never heard of before. Through this particular lens, they talk about how the world they grew up in shaped all the cinema and all the classics, like Annie Hall, Goodfellas, Misery, and Happy Gilmore. Season four is just a brat to wrap, and season five starts this fall. So be sure to join the millennial movie movement and listen to Scopophilia wherever you listen to your pods or go to ncpodcast.com slash Scopophilia to learn more. And now back to the podcast. Well, from my understanding here, I'll give us a little background on this record because we already did the um, the background on the band. So this is the third studio record by Velvet Underground, recorded in Los Angeles in 1968 and released in 69. Uh, compared to the prior two releases, uh, Velvet Underground and Nico in 67 and White Light, White Heat in 68, this album had more of a commercial sound. Now, I actually am going to agree with that because I went ahead and tried to get a little scan through of the previous records before that. And White Light, White Heat is like noise, proto-punk. It's, it's really loud. It's like very intense. It's kind of, you know, what I would expect where they've got like three projectors running, you know, all kind of behind them and people are dancing. And um, I feel like, I feel like that album is the kind of thing. White light, white heat is the kind of thing that you put on really kind of to just show someone how cool you are. Like no one listens to it for any other reason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, there was some stuff that I, I didn't, uh, that I, that I didn't like, uh, you know, there's some stuff that I didn't dislike about it, but it's definitely just a very, very different record than this. And then this record is what I've been told is kind of a bridge between so we talked about on the last episode, uh, quiet, loud, quiet. It's like the Pixies, Nirvana. So this, they just came off loud. This is quiet. And then what they do after this is this is the bridge between white light, white heat, and then the record after this. Yeah. And the one after this is what in like 1970 or something. And it's like uh, the one with the cartoon subway on the front. Uh, loaded. Loaded. And that one is more... I wouldn't say happy or optimistic, but it's more poppy, I guess, and like approachable. But see, you know, that's funny that you say that because I actually think this is a very poppy record. I actually think this is like, I mean, this is like more of like a folk pop record where you're getting- Where they came from, for sure. For sure, yes, yes. All right, so hold on. So, so, so compared to the prior two releases, uh, this album is more of a commercial sound, yes. Uh, it was more straightforward rock and ballads about love, religion, and loneliness versus sex, drugs, and horror. Reed did this intentionally to balance the abrasive white light, white heat, and felt the band had done as much as they could with that kind of sound. Lou also wanted other band members to sing on this record. Uh, Reed considered each song to be its own little play. All tracks were written by him. Despite critical success, the album failed to chart due to a lack of promotion from the band's record label. The poor sales hey, I led- I know what that feels like. <laughs> <laughs> the, the poor sales led to the group being dropped from their record label. This was the first album the band released without founding member and bassist John Cale, who was removed from the band by Reed due to creative clash. Reed wanted That's to bring right. the- 
Yeah, Reed, I didn't – do, can we find out what, what they fired him for, Jeremiah, do that? Uh, Reed wanted to bring the band's music to a wider audience with more accessible music, while Kale wanted to do wild experimental things like record with amps submerged underwater. Uh, <laughs> he's, the, he's the Tommy Lee of the group, you know what I mean? Like, he wants the drum set spinning upside down. He wants to wear the butt thong. Um, John Kale. It's, people always made the comparison between him and Tommy Lee. The rest of the band didn't want to fire him, but Reed gave the group an ultimatum. He was replaced by band friend Doug Yule. Morale in the studio was generally high. Yule said that recording this record was a lot of fun. The sessions were constructive, happy, and creative. Everybody was working together. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like a bunch of guys that are in the same room together, all recording at the same time. Now, um, Kale, John Kale would come back, uh, I think, for the next one. But... Um, I love that. I love that's a that's a pretty big shakeup. You got rid of Nico and Andy Warhol and John Cale, and you're still calling it the Velvet Underground. Well, I, I mean that's like that's your bread and butter, man. That's the coolness of the cool. Like they're the Velvet Underground. They're like this this thing. I just always looked at this bit, dude. When I showed up and I was wearing the sunglasses, like and I'm dancing, like looking through these tracks. This is so like '60s '70s happening, like. You know, what goes on, first of all, the first time I heard it, uh, we were doing a goddamn comedy jam at the uh, at the comedy store, I think in August, and Burr was supposed to do it, and he something happened and he couldn't, so we called Mark Marin like, the day before, and Marin's like, I'm in. But he's, Marin is that dude that's yeah, like... man, what? What the fuck? What, what, am I, what do you want me to play? <laughs> but no, 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 no. He, it's not what do you want me to play. It's this is what I'm playing. It's not... It's not... I don't... Well, this is the funniest thing. This is a funny story about the first time he ever did the jam. Um, it was the same situation. Burr had dropped out and he called Mark and Mark calls me up and he's like, all right, so, you know, like, what, what's the show? I tell him the show. He goes, okay. So we do a song. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, all right, well, I'm thinking like the Rolling Stones. And I go, perfect, dude. Uh, there's so many great songs. Pick something that the audience knows and dude, you'll have the best time. And he goes, yeah, I could give a fuck about the audience. I'm going to do this 1968 B-side off a Japanese only release called Little Red Rooster. Uh, and that was kind of the situation for this. But I was like, what do you want to do? You want to do something uh, popular? He goes, no, nah, man, I want to do What Goes On by the Velvet Underground. And it was actually really cool, James, because the Mark way that did. He, yeah, it was really cool because I didn't know the song. The song sounds great, but he walked out there with his guitar right at the beginning. And as he told like a story, he would kind of like play these like blues licks and then the crowds just kind of behind him. And he, he's really got their attention because he's an incredible storyteller and incredible comic. And then he just goes into this. And even that the band didn't, not the band, yeah, even man. though, even though the audience didn't know this song, like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, I think who else, somebody, somebody did, you know, uh, wait, wait, what do you want me to, you want, to, you want me to be Uncle Joe Benson and play the fucking hits for you? Fuck, why'd you come here? That's good. That's a goodie. Um, but yeah, he, he did it and the crowd loved it. And that was the first time I had heard that. So when I put this record on and what goes on was there, um, you know, it, it immediately I was like, okay, I know this. And then you get to Pale Blue Eyes, which is- Beautiful I mean, song. Beautiful song, probably one of- the the most beautiful love song I think that they've written. Let's find out a little bit about Pale Blue Eyes. The song was written for Reed's first serious girlfriend and true love, uh, Shelly Albin. Although Shelly wasn't married and did not have blue eyes, details he changed to make the song work. He tried many times to get her back and therefore what he had but couldn't keep. Uh, yeah, been there many times. Actually, that's funny, there was a guy I hooked up with this guy in his car when I was like 24 and he puts this song on and he was this Mormon guy. You hooked up he with Mormon? This, he was this Mormon guy from Provo, Utah who was like trying to figure out his life. And so he's in West, he's visiting West Hollywood for some reason, drove down from Utah and we hooked up in his car and he had he had, he had blue eyes and like blonde hair. He puts this song on sadly as a way of being like, I'm gonna, I have a religion that I can't be with you. And so like, I've been, 
I we had just had clumsy car sex and then we're smoking cigarettes and he puts this song on and he's like, you know this song? And I'm like, yeah. And I just listened to it like staring out the window and I think he I think he was really sad because he had this dumb well, you know, he had a dumb religion. He believed the wrong thing. And so he yeah. was like he was like he he was like, Well, I can I can taste your delights once in my life, but uh, I'm not going to come back and make it a regular thing. <laughs> delights. Yeah, Turkish delight. delight. Uh, my, my funny Armenian more... delight. Thank you. You're 100%. 100%. I should have known that. Um, the, um, 25%. My, my experience with Mormon people, I don't know if this is this when saying that it sounds like I'm about to say something really offensive, but it's not. When I uh, was in high school, the bus used to pick us up at our stop and then it used to drive out of the neighborhood, but there was a Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that was just built that every morning the Mormon kids would have to go to, I guess, CCD. I don't know. It's like Hebrew school, but for Mormons every morning they'd have to go and the bus would pull up and there was about seven kids. And as they all got on the bus every morning, I would sing, let's go play with the moment, kids, and run with the moment, play with the moments, be with the moment, kids. The way you say off. it sounds like Molman. Like I could live, be saying Molman. I could be they saying Molman. They all, they all live underground, like the Velvets. Like They're the, the Velvets, the Velvet Undergrounders. Um, Bob, Bob. We got to talk about this. We got some pale blue eyes out there. <laughs> There's a major threat here to democracy. I want to know. I want to get a full report on my desk by Monday morning about what the hell is going on with these pale blue eyes. <laughs> They're saying we can never be together. Is that some kind of economic threat for NATO? <laughs> so, so what sticks out to you about this record? Like, what are the things that you like? What are the the moments or or, or anything? Because I mean, I I, I for one. I love that this is uh, when it's like, it's like I said, that quiet, loud, quiet. It's like when it's really just chill, this album is very easy to listen to. And then when they turn it up on certain songs, uh, like what goes on, uh, beginning to see the light, like I, I hearing that song, I, I, it's, I just see a bunch of like the band playing it with like no emotion and like girls in those like flowy, like, am I beginning to see the light? And the projectors going, you know uh, what I mean? It's, it's it, so, it's so happening. Has that song been used for any commercial campaigns? I'm trying to, I feel like maybe Velvet Underground avoided that, but beginning to see the light sounds like if it hasn't already, it's sooner or later going to be like a, a commercial, like a, bank commercial soundtrack possibly (laughs) it's like i mean it's 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 up there it sounds yeah i like it's such a rejoicing song and i love that i love that you zeroed in on the way the way they would have background singers that don't even move it's just it's so like you know like and you're just like just fucking just just you know you're on mescaline and that's that weird song you have like real shouldery dancing um i mean candy says candy says is beautiful uh what goes on is is more the upbeat some kind of love is a gorgeous song pale blue eyes like i said is probably one of the one of their their best songs and probably one of the best love songs that lou reed has ever wrote uh jesus um i don't really remember it beginning to see the light i said i'm set free good song the only one on it that i really didn't like is the murder mystery but i feel like from what i talked to morty is that's like the bridge between white light white heat and then this record uh so it's remember is it uh is it the more is it like the noisy song yeah it's the noisy eight minute and 55 second Uh song uh um and then after hours which is adorable because it's sung by mindy and she's got this very, like, I'm not gonna say New York, Long Island, you know, accent, but it's very New Yorkish, and it, and it reminds me. I want to sing a song. Yeah, it's it's very like. When do she, I get to sing a song? <laughs> it's it's very it's it's. Do you remember in um, in the White Stripes records? 
they have these songs at the end uh, where it's like Meg White singing and Jack White singing, and then there's some other British girl singing, and they're and it's just a very like sweet like you know like and I just wanna be friends like well Jack White I love you yes I do I school went out and do it's it's very cute and I also thought it was like a really fun way let me see if I got any facts about this I like it when Josh Adam Myers gets cute. Oh man, it's he, tough with this he voice. Spends, he spends so long being gritty and tough. It's and it's just a burden on his shoulders. And when he can let that off and be and let himself be the cute baby boy, I'm I, I can be very cute regardless of the tone of my voice. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talk to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest, to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. All right, let's go Let's see if we got any random tr- uh, track facts or anything. Um... Candy says, written by Lou Reed, sung by bassist Doug Ewell. As a matter of circumstance, we did the third knot. No, it's not important. All right, let's get to something. What goes on? Uh, the only single release from the record and is one of the happier Velvet Underground tracks. Uh, Some Kind of Love. Reed once called the song an alcoholic's dream realized. I wonder why. Pale Blue Eyes, uh, we already talked about. After Hours, this is the one. This is the one. After Hours is one of three Velvet Underground songs that drummer Maureen Mo Tucker sings on. Lou Reed chose to have Tucker sing it because it was too innocent and pure, exactly what I said, for his own voice and persona. This choice, whether intentionally and or inadvertently, gave birth to a song beloved by Velvet Faithful specifically because it's so unique in the band's catalog. Tucker was so nervous while recording the song. In a 2012 interview, she said she had tried to failed to lay down the vocals like six times. She finally said that everyone had to leave except her and Reed. And in 1980, Tucker said she would never sing After Hours again unless someone specifically requested it. But in 2012, she did it again. And performances uh, of this song have gone on to be uh, covered by R.E.M., Blind Melon, and Anthony Kiedis. That's cute. It is very cute. It's a cute song. So I think it's that's a cute way. To, that's her stairway to heaven. She's like, I won't do it. And then, well, okay, I'll do it. Do we have any other uh, facts about this record that is interesting? Um, hmm. I want to hear the, that. The album cover photograph was taken at Andy Warhol's factory, which was a hip hangout spot for musicians and celebrities of the day. And Lou Reed made his own mix of the album, which got dubbed The Closet Mix, which was actually released first in the United States. It was called that because it sounded like it was recorded in a closet, duh. And the main difference is Lou's vocals were boosted and the instruments were lowered. The release of a separate mix disappointed the rest of the band, but the version we're talking about today is more wildly uh, available. All right, well, that's all the facts I have about this. You wanna do Um, the firing of Andy Warhol? fact the first filler fact yeah go ahead what is why was andy warhol fired uh so nico moved on after the velvet severed their relationship with andy warhol uh here's reed commenting on why 
they parted ways with him. He says, he sat down and had a talk with me. You got to decide what you want to do. And he said, do you want to keep just playing museums from now on and art festivals, or do you want to start moving into other areas? Uh, I almost, Lou, yeah. I, well, go ahead. Sorry. No, it's cool. I was just say, Lou, don't you think you should think about it? And he says, so I thought about it and I fired him because I thought that was one of the things to do if we were going to move away from the art stuff is fire Andy Warhol. Are, are you reading this off of something, Jeremiah? Yeah. Could you send it to me? Because I think sure. there's something funny to do here, which okay. is that, that little interview, just the wording of it sounded like the lyrics to, to a Velvet Underground song. I want to see if I can make up <laughs> a Velvet Underground song about firing Andy Warhol. So this is Reed, Lou Reed's comment on why they left Andy Warhol, and I think it works as an under Velvet Underground song. He sat down and had a talk with me. You gotta decide what you wanna do. Do you wanna just keep playing museums from now on and the art festivals? Or do you wanna set moving into other areas? Lou, he said, you think you should think about it. So I thought about it and I fired him. Because <laughs> he would in the in the lyrics, he would have something. And then I said, hey man, are you sure that's a good idea? And then he goes, come on, man, you're gonna be complacent. I said, are oh, you sure we're getting royalties? And that when you gotta do what they do. Do you wanna play museums? Or do you wanna start playing bigger places? Here's your question that you're, that you're since we're talking about this. Is, is there he said, would, don't you think you should think about it? So I thought about it and I fired him. <laughs> um, here, I have a question. That's how that would go. <laughs> I have a question for you. Like, if who's who was your Andy Warhol? And I mean that like helping, like helping. No, 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 no. I mean like you know the way that Andy was instrumental in 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 the band. Like who who was your Andy Warhol? That's a good question. I like that. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, uh, that's a who is my Andy Warhol? Oh, I mean, there's like theater directors I had early on doing sketch comedy and stuff. I guess there was like the mad genius of Patrick Bristow or Drew Drogi that were Who like, they? yeah, they're, oh, these are guys like that groundlings, were early on. Groundlings figures. Yes. Patrick Bristow was a groundlings director and teacher. And uh, Drew Drogi is a prolific, amazing drag performer. And uh, uh, <laughs> you should have Drew actually, you should have him on goddamn comedy jam if he'll do it. Um, but he, he, he's not, he's a storyteller also. And like, it's really crazy he's like a really crazy sketch comedy guy originally, which is how I know him and, uh, and super funny and insane and actually kind of would be great at playing Andy Warhol. If you put the right white wig on him, that's a fun part that like, I feel like, I feel like if you're going to make a movie that takes place in the sixties, there's like a 50% chance that somebody gets cast in like a Andy Warhol cameo going like, Oh, Hey, I, I just, I love being here. Um, that's like a juicy cameo for any reboot 60s thing. I want to see more Andy Warhol, 80s, 80s Warhol. I mean, was, now I'm going to sound like a fucking idiot when I say this. Is he that prolific? Like, was he like, I mean, the way that like he was, I mean, at one point he was the most famous man alive. Like, is it from the art? I know I'm going to sound stupid and people are going to shit on me for this, but like, but like, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It, 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 the artwork to us looks like in like the background of our life. We've always seen the soup cans and the Marilyn Monroe. So we're like, what's well, so great about that? But at the, t- at the time, yeah. believe it or not, no one had thought of that. And so it was very, it was like, it was like this ultra splashy, optimistic nihilism or like cartoony, it's like this cartoony, pop-friendly, um, ironic commercialism. And there's imitators. Lots of imitators come after him as far as an artist. But yeah, it's like, uh, I think that it, it just seems ubiquitous to us. 
so it doesn't seem interesting. And I guess at the time, it seemed more interesting. Although, you know, he definitely was like, there's not, I mean, there's not a lot to understand that's not there on the surface. I saw, I went to the museum, the Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh, where he's from, and it's fascinating. It's fascinating. I'm again, I'm not like a super Warhol fan. I'm glad I went, you know, and I looked at all the exhibits and I'm, I come out of there and I'm like, all right, that was fun. Uh, I bought a shitload of shit at the, at the uh, gift shop. You better believe I did. Um, <laughs> I want to pretend I'm like, I'm like, I want to have, I want to have a, I've, what I've always liked is the idea of the factory. That's the coolest thing about Warhols, the factory where you're like, and there's just people always partying and fucking. And yeah. we're artists and they're like, there's a never ending party. And oh my God, you're in, you're it, you've got it. It's great. And you're just presumably just never sleeping. Uh, <laughs> nobody ever eats breakfast. It's just like a, like constantly <laughs> <laughs> something hip and cool and artistic is happening. <laughs> there's no breakfast. Yeah. They, 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 they're not allowed to. It's just like, no, it's, it's, we start at lunch. Oh yeah, it's a good, every meal, we have dinner for every meal. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess it is it is this like mythical place. And you then know, they get, I, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, it's just, I, I, I get it, 100% I get it, but you, you said it perfectly. It's just like the, the soup cans were just around and it's like, it was never, you have to look at what it was like when it, when somebody first did that pop art like that, you know, just took a picture and then just changed it enough. And like, oh. And I think he had, I think he was influential in the way that everyone imitated Andy Warhol in the same way that Velvet Underground obviously has influences on a lot of bands that come after them, especially in the, the, the punk movement that comes like right after it. Um, I think in visual art, uh, Andy Warhol's like, Andy Warhol's influential in things that we don't consider art, like advertising and, uh, and marketing and stuff. Um, where they're like, oh, we can say something without saying it? Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. Um, let me see. Andy Warhol's, this is a Patreon question. Uh, and you, you, this is for you. Probably like, Andy Warhol's most de decisive move as the Velvet Underground's manager was adding German model Nico to the band as a vocalist. Um, the yeah, band which is like bad move. Yeah, well, I was about to say that, that's the question: is Do you think Nico was a good addition to the band? It's to me, it's just purely comical. I, 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 I there's probably a bunch of Velvet Underground fans that are like. It's outrageous that he doesn't like worship John Cale and um and like and have him nuanced opinions about Nico. And I'm like, I'm sorry. It she sounds the whole thing about Nico is hilarious. Um, you know about how, how she tied? No, tell she me. She was a, she was on vacation in Spain on the beach or something and went to go buy marijuana and uh I think she fell off a bicycle. Or someone like knocked her off a bicycle on vacation in Spain and then she just died. Like, not a way that a grown up should be able to die. And, uh, Sonny Bono esque. Yeah. It's like weird. Yeah, but it's, it was like, a, it was like a touristy beach. And then, like, she died, like, having fallen off a bicycle. No one dies that way. The bicycle was our, our also 15 feet in the air. It was one of those big ones with the big wheels. Just so you of know. Of course it was. That's how she would, that's how she vacationed. Yeah, with the big wheel and the small wheel. <laughs> and, you know, I think it's because they didn't take her to the hospital. They didn't believe that she had a serious injury or something. And uh, it's like a bumped her head or something. And that would be fun to have Nico trying, Nico of the Velvet, formerly of the Velvet Underground, trying to be like, I've suffered an injury. I need to get medical care. <laughs> Why can't she see the doctor? <laughs> There's a lump on her head, under her hair. So you think she wasn't a good addition to the band? No, I think it's comical. I think I think it takes it in this insane direction, this de we crazy detour that had to happen. And at like so much about them is the early Velvet Underground is hilarious. Where you're like, why are they 
why are they fucking doing this? Um, like, what do you like? What do you mean? Like, dude, I don't know a lot about the band. Right. It's just to, uh, they are funny to me. I put them on. I put them on, and I start like singing along, washing the dishes or something. This, uh, uh, this, this album, uh, Velvet Underground, is actually probably the coolest one to listen to non-ironically like to just actually be like this is a great album there's nothing ironic about this record there's nothing there's nothing about this record that i would think is even rooted in the era that it came out this is something that you can listen to now and it hits just as good as it did probably back then if not more because of the test of time and all this stuff that's gone with it in the later one loaded uh I, i i like a lot too and both of these albums i've listened to like on ecstasy or coming down from molly or coming down from mushrooms or something and at, at the, uh, this album is actually great for kind of coming down off of mushrooms because it's like there's melancholy to it but it's also like it's not dire you know yeah it's no like, i get it it's like you're gonna come down here now and then it's not gonna be that bad forever but the early velvet underground is like is like it's so cartoony it's like it's almost like when they start out, you're like, is this just an Andy Warhol experiment, like a gag, um, like a fake band? And then they kind of prove that they weren't. They're like, <laughs> in case you thought we were a fake band that was made up by Andy Warhol, um, we'll fire some people and do several more albums. <laughs> hey, you, do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Um, all right, where were we? Uh, all right, no more questions. Let's wrap this up. All right. Uh, we, ask, we ask every guest these questions. Uh, this was great, dude. Um, favorite song on the record? Pale Blue Eyes. Uh, with I- a, and I do, I do love beginning to see the light, too. Uh, 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 like yeah it's more optimistic i guess or it sounds that way ironically um but um i like those songs i particularly like pale blue eyes because i have a I have a couple of you know deep emotional connections to it i guess sure i, I look Having i think fucked pa- a guy in the back of a car for sure and like you know that's that's the only way you can really listen to a song um is is while fucking a guy in the back of a car you're supposed you're supposed like lou reed is like is that kind of like cryptic cryptic drug-fueled bisexual uh rock lord you're supposed you're supposed that's the way to enjoy that song does that make you does it make you like lou reed more knowing about his sexual proclivity yeah yeah you know some people get really nerdy and specific about the high fidelity speakers or whatever like how to listen to a song certain kind of oh it's got to be 180 vinyl or whatever but like to me the real experience is you got to be you've got to be like Fucking or getting throat fucked with a guy, uh, and while Lou Reed is on to get the true audio experience of the song. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I get that. I get that. I, I'm gonna say Pale Blue Eyes too, but uh, but I, I what goes on, man? I really dig that. All right, what's your least favorite song on the record? I don't. I mean, I I, I wouldn't say it's my. I guess I just don't remember it much. Is that the the noise song on, on the second side? It just goes in one ear out the other. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go Murder Mystery too. Uh, what song on this record would you fuck to? Like, what are you putting on? Well, you guys answered that one all yeah, already. You already said it. Yeah. <laughs> this was great, dude. This was so much fun. Um, promote your social media, whatever you want to promote. But again, hey, yes, uh, Instagram at Jay Adomian. And uh, like I said, I'm on Standout on Netflix in June. And uh, I'm going to be in Vancouver and Seattle later in May. Nice. Where, where are you doing in Vancouver? Uh, the JFL of Vancouver, yes. the Biltmore Cabaret. Are you going to be there? I am not, but I'll be, I'll be, we'll be seeing each other. Don't worry. 
I know. I always love. I love seeing you at a festival. Those are good times. That's the best. I'm so I'm so happy. It's everything's open up again. It's just it's nice to be making. Yeah, money man. Again. Yeah, dude. Fucking yeah, out dude. there. Uh, well, hopefully next time I see you, we're in the backseat of a car fucking. You know what I mean? That's. Uh... Well, it's it's harder to do in New York City, but I guess you can summon me there. Ah, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Thank you, brother. I love you, Josh. Great to see you. Thank you. I love you too. What I tell you, what I tell you, the one and only James Adomian, uh, follow him on all social media at J-A-D-O-M-I-A-N, J Adomian. Check him out in Vancouver on 528, see him in Seattle on 529, and be on the lookout for his Netflix uh, performance, uh, Standout, an LBGTQ plus celebration on June 9th. And then the Bill Burr Presents thing that I did, I think that's coming out the same week too. Listener shout out. Dude, I'm giving a shout out to DJ Morty Coyle again. Once again, Morty stepped in. He's the man. I love him to death. Uh, I it's I really enjoy talking to him before these episodes just to give me like a bone up. So I want everybody in here, follow at DJ Morty Coyle. At DJ Morty Coyle. Tell him you love him. We're going to have him on soon. We'll figure out a way. We'll figure out a record, and and we'll get Morty to come on and learn his life story because he's such an interesting dude. But big shout-out to you, Morticles. All right, who do we got? Oh, shit. Listeners submitted? No way. New music this week submitted by listener Dean Arnott. It's his Edinburgh, Scotland-based band Dead Letter Office. Well, I like this. He says his major influences are the Velvet Underground, and you're listening to the song... Heart in a Box, off the record, Ballad of a Broken Knife. And you can find the links on our website, the500podcast.com. And if you want your music played just like uh, Dean's, send us your song to 500podcast at gmail.com. Next week, oh shit, don't do me like that. Don't do me like that. I would love you, baby. Damn the torpedoes. Bye, Tom Petty. From 79. Damn the torpedoes. Do your homework.
It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. Next Chapter Podcasts.